Welcome to On the Up and Up. I'm your host, Kira LaForgia, and every week I'm bringing you behind the scenes of running a successful business. Join me while we laugh, learn, and connect on mostly HR inappropriate topics with successful founders, diverse leaders, and kick-ass employees. It's true, your HR lady may have fired your bestie or made you sign a love contract, but we also have all the hot gossip that will make you better at your job. Whether you're on your way up the corporate ladder, are a fellow HR villain, or are building a culture as a rising entrepreneur. Brayden, hi. Hi, how's it going? Good, how are you? Uh, you know, <laughs> we're here. <laughs> well, we're doing what, it. An, what an enthusiastic welcome to our launch episode. <laughs> Hey, this is this is the reality of business, folks. We uh, are starting our company quiet weeks that Kira helped us wrote into our company handbook. <laughs> Those start this afternoon. So squeezing in lots of last minute things. And uh, of course, being on your podcast is like highest priority for me. because it's like, thank you for all the work you've done with us. Oh my God, that is so nice. I thought you were going to be like, and this is the last meeting that I have today and you will pay later. And I was going to be like... Send me no, <laughs> no, of course not. Of course not. Well, thank you so much for getting up at 6 a.m. I feel uh-huh. like we're actually on the same schedule as all the East Coast people that email us all morning until we actually get to work three hours later. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But true. of course, they're all still, you know, they're all on holiday vacation now. So good for them, I guess. Um, but I'm so excited to talk to you today. We talk way too often as it is, but, (laughs) (laughs) um, I know that I am personally have a weird obsession with you in real life and on the internet and as a business owner, but I want you to make everyone else be obsessed with you. So can you introduce yourself to all the people that are listening, probably millions and thousands since this is our launch episode and it's a very important moment in our lives. (laughs) (laughs) Well, hello, everyone. I'm very excited to be here. Uh, My name is Brayden. I'm also based in San Diego County along with Kira, which is how we were able to get connected so quickly because we're able to, you know, like eat lunch in real life and everything, um, unlike all of our other online business friends, which is fabulous. I am originally from uh, Indiana and I moved out to Southern California for law school, took a pass the bar exam, and I got my master's degree in tax law. So um, I educate and speak on and dabble in all things like legal, tax, and finance for small businesses. Wow, that was great. You're really good at that little elevator pitch. <laughs> oh, I've done it. Uh, done it many, many times at this point. (laughs) Yeah. Well, let's dive in there. So one of the things that I think is so cool about you and why I'm secretly obsessed with you, but then I'm mean to you in person, like a normal older (laughs) sister would be, um, is that you've been in the game for such a long time and kind of just like had the guts to jump right in. But why don't you kind of get everybody the inside scoop on how you started your business and what that early journey was like? Sure. Well, it doesn't feel like I've been doing it very long, right? But, you know, time flies. I finished law school in 2016. And then I got my master's. Yeah, after that. So I was starting my business like kind of part time when I was doing my master's program. But 2018 was my first. Was that? It was either 17 or 18. Doesn't matter. My first full year in business. So it's been about four years. Um, all I really knew was I, I had some like really on, excuse me, on paper, 
I had some really amazing internships in law school. I apologize to your audience. I'm very congested. So they're going to hear a lot of sniffling and snorting while I'm talking. And that's just, you know, live with it, people. Um, but I knew I wanted to be self-employed. So I kind of hung out the shingle, so to speak. And uh, the reality is I was already living with my now husband. He actually walked in here to change the laundry a second ago and was like giggling at something that I said. Um, oh, that's that, so yeah. cute. That gave me a lot of like a lot of freedom and flexibility to start my business, which is like something I acknowledge a lot with my own students because, you know, it's a leg up that, you know, some folks don't have. So that uh, helped get me started. And uh, here we are. I still I feel like I'm still about a year away from actually having a take home pay of what like a three year like attorney should have, if that makes sense. But, you know, growing your own business is a small, slow and steady process for many of us. Well, yeah. And of course, like I'm an expert on attorneys because of watching every single episode of Law and Order Suits and now the new Netflix series Partner Track. So <laughs> I think that your situation, having your own business and being a year away from that income is well worth it because as TV tells us, attorneys in a typical office kind of have a torturous life. Um, but I want to really talk about some of your experiences that you had working in the workforce and in the bosses that you've previously had and stuff like that. But so can you tell us about like your (laughs) shittiest, worst boss and your best boss? Yeah, well... I have had some that were like not great. I had I had some that were I had some I would just say were like bad supervisors and some that were just bad people. And I feel like there's like a difference, right? I think I've told you before about like I worked in a restaurant, had the owner of the restaurant. He wasn't one of our managers, but you know, obviously he owned the restaurants. So he could fire people at will. And he did that a lot. <laughs> just like really like to fire people. Um, but he would come in and if things were like not set up properly, like one time the salt shaker was on the wrong side of the table. So he picked it up and like threw it against the wall and it smashed and it was like a whole ordeal. Luckily the store was closed on the flip side though. Like he would like straight up basically like cuss out customers if they were like being Karens, so to speak about the serve <laughs> staff. So you know, like flip side. I remember one Saturday, someone was complaining. It was like homecoming weekend. And this is a diner in a college town complaining that their food didn't come out fast enough. And they saw like a servers just standing around. And it's because, yeah, well, we've already gotten you all your drinks. And we're like literally just waiting for the food to be cooked. So we made the lady stand up and took her in the kitchen so she could see all of the all of the cooks like furiously working and sweating, getting the food done. So he was kind of aggressive, I would say. Uh, there was that boss. Uh you experience all kinds of management styles working retail. And then in the law firm, um, the law firms that I interned in were, those are interesting experiences because internships are usually unpaid, which means they're supposed to be educational experiences to like really even be legal. But a lot of the attorneys, you know, they're working 80 hours a week. And so their perspective is like, I don't really have like any fucking time for this, honestly. And they see interns come in and out like a revolving door. So most of them like don't really take the time to help you that much. They just basically give you grunt work that like any like file clerk or like uh, secretary could be doing. So that was a lot of my experience in those roles. Yeah. And I know like I have some retail experience from growing up and I do think about some of my I guess, first bosses that I had back then and like what that was like. And 
how I felt as an employee in those situations at different stages of my life. But it's funny how some of those things kind of stick with you when you're starting to build your team, like thinking about some of the things that happened to you and how you're like, I am not going to be that person or like making mistakes and being like, yeah. oh my God, like that dick bag boss I had when I was 19 would have totally done this. <laughs> like, and just like having yeah. to hold yourself accountable to like some of those emotional moments. But it's, it's weird to think about like, so I actually interned cause I wanted to be an attorney. And yeah. so I interned at a personal injury law firm, uh-huh. which I quickly learned was, um, I don't know, maybe most boring thing I could have been doing. My entire (laughs) job was to talk to the sassy paralegal that seemingly knew everything. Yeah. And her name was April. And she was like very cool and like gothic and like into murder and stuff. So we always got along about that. Um, I was unpaid. And basically just every day I would walk in and she'd be like sassing around with like clients and like other people in the office and just like office neighbors and like random delivery people. She sounds like April from Parks and Rec, but like actually productive. Oh, yeah. <laughs> she, I mean, she was kind of like a bubbly gothic person. Uh-huh. So okay. it was like a really cool dichotomy. But then she was also like, here's a deposition that you need to highlight anything that talks about legs. And it was like a stack of paper, three inches thick. And then I I was like, wow, okay. It was an unpaid internship. I was meant to be learning, you know, like you said. And so I'd go to the internship and then I would leave and go to like a job that I was like, you know, working at for real money. And after reading all these like endless papers about like some car accident where like some guy was and she's like, just highlight anything that says legs or is uh-huh. talking about his legs. And See, I was like, I well, do... being a lawyer sucks and I'm not doing it. So I'm going to go find another way to... Well, that's not really legal work, right? Like that's the I thing. Know. When I interned, I had a lot of... They call them... Um, they call them depo, like depot summaries, right? So they hand you a 200-page deposition transcript. And for folks listening, if you're not familiar, a deposition is basically an interview under oath. So as the attorney, you get to grill the person when they're under oath, and then you can bring in all that stuff as evidence into the trial, right? This is when you like learn the stuff that you need. This is where you try to get the, I got your questions. And so the depot summaries, really, I'm taking like a 200-page deposition, and I'm trying to condense it down to like as few pages as possible, like 10 to 20 pages, so that the attorneys, like the day or two before the trial, can read the summary quickly. And then the summary is going to reference the important parts of the deposition by like line and page. And I had to do like dozens of those, because that summer I was at this law firm. They had like three or four like really high stakes, like multi-million dollar cases, like actually going to trial, which was pretty rare. But the cool thing was my second week there, I got like a $150 bonus check. And this was actually a paid internship. And I was like, um, I didn't even work on this case. And they're like, yeah, but we just, everyone gets a bonus. Like when we um, get a verdict and it's based, you know, on like your hourly rate. So I'm pretty sure like the two attorneys that actually tried the case, they probably got like bonuses in the hundreds of thousands and the paralegals probably, you know, got like a thousand dollar bonus. <laughs> but you know, that's how, like, that's how the, you're like, giggling, like what but. are we, they're like, what are we going to do with this guys? <laughs> Just give yeah, me yeah, yeah. But I mean, that's how, that's how a lot of plaintiffs firms work. Like you get a low base salary, but then you get really big, like really big payouts when you win cases. Whereas defense attorneys charge like higher hourly rates, but their ceiling is not as high for their income. If that makes sense. Yeah. It's so funny to talk about this because now I'm like thinking back on HR is really just like, 
preparing for if you had to talk about all of this stuff in a situation that would eventually be highlighted highlighted by an unpaid intern that's obsessed with the gothic boss. <laughs> so like when we're in our management training program and stuff, we've talked about this, but you just any email that you write to your team member, anything you have to document, you just want to assume that somebody else that you don't know is going to read it and they're uh-huh. not going to think you're funny. So like, <laughs> I'm always just like, what would like 20 year old me, like when they're going through this in court, cause I've had to deal with stuff like that, unemployment court and whatever. Uh, I'm going to start putting a lot of Gen Z references and gifts in my emails from now. <laughs> yeah. So the 20 year olds are like, oh, we're definitely on this guy's side. Yeah. Just like highlighting Here, the have, gift. have you ever thought about the fact that like, if you ever wanted to go to law school and become a, like a, uh, in plaintiff's employment attorney, you would like literally clean house and make so much money, but you'd be like suing I, businesses every day. So I don't know if that would be rewarding for you. I don't know. I mean, there, there really was a moment in my life where I was like, I have a, I'm at a turning point. Like, am I going to go figure out my life and like figure out what I want to do with it? Or am I going to go and like study for the LSAT and like get ready for law school? Like it was that kind of turning point. And I think well, everyone, (laughs) everyone should be thankful that instead of like suing them for all the misclassified workers they have on their teams, because God (laughs) knows there's thousands of them in online business. You're like helping them get it together instead, you know? Yeah. And you know, what's kind of weird is that I, just, I was only diagnosed with ADHD like eight months ago now. And just having this conversation, I'm like remembering like the, making those decisions as a kid, as a 21 year old or whatever. And I never struggled in school or anything, but I definitely thought it was like the most boring thing I've ever had to do in my life. I just wonder like how, if I would have had the resources and knowledge I have now, like if I would have still made the same decision to like pursue something that was more, I went right into sales because I was like, I don't want to go to school anymore. Like, I just want to like get to work. And I did end up going back and getting a post-grad degree in business, but it's really like, I don't know, like I'm, I'm happy about where we ended up and I love working with people and having these types of conversations and being an entrepreneur, but like you also went to law school and here we are having this conversation and so much of what we do overlaps. So it's kind of weird how you, I would say if I could do it all over again, I would have just like, I probably would have studied all the same stuff. I just would have studied for the LSAT longer. So I could have gotten more scholarships and have less debt. And then when I was in school, I would have taken different classes <laughs> now knowing <laughs> what I actually do. Cause there's a lot of stuff that I do that I've had to teach myself. Not that, you know, like the classes are always that practical, but man, I was like many days. I really wish I'd taken a sales tax class rather than like three international tax classes and like three estate and gift tax classes, because uh, I'm not working with like people with $50 million estates, estates yeah. to help them with their estate tax. But, you know. Yeah. I think about that all the time too, especially because like, or even on the flip side, like I majored in global and international studies. So like a, it was a huge study on like economic globalization. And this was many years ago at this point. <laughs> so <laughs> it's so different now than it was then. Although I did take a transgender studies class back then. So I feel like that was ahead of the curve for a lot of people. Uh-huh. Um, but then I'm like, why didn't I take Greek myth? Like all the social <laughs> majors, you know, like, why was I, why was I like, no, I have to take economic development and, you know, the third world world, which isn't even like a legal, like we're not even supposed to say that anymore. You know, it's so yeah. weird to think it sounds about. Sounds interesting like, though. 
I mean, yeah, it was. And we got to, I had an awesome college experience. We had five Nobel laureates in my school. So where'd you go? UC Santa Barbara. Okay, cool. And so they, they live there because, or they work there because they want to live in Santa Barbara. (laughs) So we just benefited from that and it ends up being a good school on the back end. But it was really weird to think about like, how do you even get here? And then to be like, that felt like such a huge decision in my life at the time to be like listening to April, like talk shit with the like delivery guy and like flirt with the, the coffee delivery guy. And then me be like, just looking for any mention of someone's knee or leg in a 200 page document <laughs> and being like, well, this is the moment where I decided I don't want to go to law school. <laughs> like what a strangely informed decision. <laughs> Yeah, there could be a lot of like a lot of random, like a lot of random stuff like that. And yeah, it's always interesting how I was going to say everything comes full circle, but sometimes it does not come full circle at all. My my undergraduate degrees were in political science and Slavic language and literature. (laughs) Yeah, with a focus on Russian language. So I took eight semesters of Russian language. I also studied German and I have a minor in business and I took a couple (laughs) Ukrainian classes. Um, Yeah. But I did, like I mentioned, I did study international tax. So for a moment, Kira, um, I actually, I interned at a low-income taxpayer clinic in my grad program. And there was a guy there who retired. He was a retired attorney. And he was like, oh, I used to work for ExxonMobil in their tax division. He's like, I could get you an interview. And the job would have been like basically working in LA and flying back and forth between LA and Moscow to like help ExxonMobil, the giant oil conglomerate, save billions of dollars in taxes, I'm sure. And weirdly, that like checked every box of all these different like niche things I'd studied. But at that point, I was like, no, I'm going to go help small businesses set up LLCs. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just like all these like alternative paths. And like, it is, you know, kind of interesting to think about how like when we talk about these stories and like the things that shape our career, we talk about the people that were involved in like offering us those positions and, you know, stuff like that. Like this random paralegal that, I mean, I'm sure I could like find her if I wanted to, but like she informed like the way that I like run my career and my life and like showed me that it was like fine to be normal at, in a really professional workplace and like talk about stupid stuff and like joke you should, around you and should, have fun. You should find her and send her an email. She'd probably love that. I've always, yeah. I, this is like weird, but I think about this a lot. I, one of my really big life goals is to qualify for the Boston marathon. So I'm supposed to be training right now. I haven't been able to because I'm sick. But this idea was kind of seeded to me by my favorite political science professor in college because in high school, I ran cross country and I knew that the Boston Marathon was a big goal, but I thought it was a very unattainable goal because like the short story is like the times I ran in my high school 5Ks, I have to run those like same paces in a marathon to qualify (laughs) for Boston. So it just seemed very undoable. But this um, woman, her name is Professor Krupnikoff, she was training for the Boston Marathon and she said she ran two hours on her treadmill every morning. So I was like, if, if Professor Krupnikoff can do it, I can do it. So I, de- I decided one day I'm going to qualify. I'm going to run it. And then I'm going to figure out what university she's teaching at now. She was last at Northwestern. And I'm going to send her an email and tell her, like, thank you for the inspiration. Yeah, that's amazing. And it's, <laughs> it's like 
on one hand, I'm like, wow, I can't believe we've spent so many hours talking about so much random stuff. And this is the first time I've heard that you're a minor expert on Slavic language and (laughs) potentially we're being groomed to be a Russian spy in the early aughts. (laughs) Well, I do. I did have friends who interned at the CIA. And also um, I started, I started studying my Russian again on Duolingo and I almost posted it on my Instagram stories. I Maybe I did. Oh, I put, did it on my personal Instagram. I got an ad the other day for like one of those like find an Eastern European bride services. I was like, <laughs> target market not reached, but I think it's the pickup of the Russian language studies that's probably doing it because, you know. Yeah. I don't know that you would be their ideal client, but I guess that's the way ads work sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Um. Well, I want to talk about why you decided to try to become my friend. Um, (laughs) Because one of the reasons I wanted to have you on so early in this podcasting journey is, and we're definitely going to have three episodes because I've already recorded the third one, which is all about employee and contractor law. So we can feed right into that, but well, not technically not employee and contractor law. There's about 30 disclaimers throughout the entire episode, but you know, the practices that we need to know as you are well aware But I just think that it's so interesting how we were able to find each other in this crazy world, um, given that HR is something that really does buddy right up next to legal, but it is not legal. And it also buddies right up next to tax and accounting. And oftentimes, I think people will assume that they need to hire someone, they need help with their people, they're going to go find a lawyer, or they're going to hire someone, they need to go get some help, they're going to go find a bookkeeper, which is what you do. So, and this is all true stories that I hear from people that are like, well, I guess I can just go talk to my bookkeeper about it. I'm like, your bookkeeper will send you right back over here. So let's just keep talking about hiring. They're going to talk to a bookkeeper about hiring. Yeah, well, because a lot of bookkeepers know a lot of stuff. But Girl, I, I know think, a lot of bookkeepers who like don't even understand <laughs> quarterly taxes, like let alone HR. Like what? It, okay, listen. Not to hate you, on all you the You said it, not me. There, you said it, not me. But I don't think it's the bookkeepers as much as it is just we as business owners find people that we can trust. And oftentimes a bookkeeper is a business's first hire when they start to make money. So they are like very reliant on someone that they can get information from and they'll try to figure out how to take next steps in their business based on whatever trust or relationship they've built with the people that help them with their money, even more so than their CPAs that, you know, don't really talk to them that often. Um, But obviously for you, I think, well, just, you know, tell everyone like why you were like so interested in, you know, pursuing me. (laughs) Uh, Kira's like, um, I need you to compliment me on my podcast, please, for all of my listeners. Happy to do it, Kira. Um, And also like teach people what HR is from a lawyer slash money person. That's the goal. Sure. Sure. Well, here's the thing. I actually had a big blind spot myself because a lot of lawyers don't know what other lawyers do. Like I can guarantee you, my husband has like no idea what I do for a lot of businesses. And I, my husband is, I almost said retired. He's definitely not retired, but he was a long time criminal prosecutor at the DA's office. And now he's a judge. Right. And I have no idea like what really goes in the day to day of all of that. But granted to say a lot of employment attorneys, so to give everyone a breakdown, because I think the idea here is we want to help people understand like what a lawyer does versus an HR person versus an accountant, right? 
And in the legal field, we have, there's kind of two branches. There's litigation and there's transactional. Litigation is like, I want to sue someone. There's plaintiff's attorneys, there's defense attorneys. Transactional law is like all the stuff that doesn't involve lawsuits. So if you go hire like an estate attorney to draft your will, your trust, you hire a business attorney to do your LLC, your S Corp, all that kind of stuff is transactional, right? So I, for a long time, was looking for an employment attorney on the transactional side who helped do the hiring, right? Because there's all these legal things that go into it. Who do I need to hire? Who legally can be a contractor? Can you tell me that? Well, it turned out, no, there weren't a lot of, there There probably are some out there, but there aren't a lot of attorneys who you can hire to help you determine whether you can legally hire someone as an employee. Turns out there are a lot of attorneys who are just waiting for you to make the wrong decision so that they can sue you and then make money from you. those are all the people that I know. And then I give them a hard time. Like when I meet them at networking events and I call them, you know, like, uh, that's probably not the right word. I'll come up with a better word. later. (laughs) You get, you get the idea, uh, like piranhas, right. They're just like in the water waiting to see what, what they can bite. So then I talked to our friends, Abby and Emily at boss projects. I've been listening to their podcast and I knew I was like, Oh, it sounds like they're like hiring a lot of people. I wonder if they're working with anyone. So I messaged Jared who we both know, who is Abby's husband and is an employee for their company now, right? And I was like, who are you working with? This wacky woman named Kira down in San Diego. And I was like, well, I live in San Diego. So let me message her. And then her robot totally blew me off the first <laughs> time. And I was like, okay, cool. But not interested in that thing that your robot <laughs> telling me about. But long story short, we had lunch and... It's been a match made in heaven ever since, ever since, because I uh, help my students basically determine whether they can legally work with someone as a contractor. And if the answer is no, then they can work with you to hire those people as employees like they're often supposed to do. Yeah. And I think the way that you think as an attorney has been a great match for some of the things that we come up against, because HR is such a weird thing in that it's just constantly evolving and changing. And it it takes a lot to stay up on the compliance in different places and cities and then counties and then states and then regions and then, you know, all of that. Yeah. And I, even starting this business now almost three years ago, it was one of those things where I was like, I'm never going to be able to like help anybody with HR in any other state. Well, we're in California, so I am very well equipped to help somebody <laughs> that lives in a state that has very few laws or really easy to interpret laws. But your legal mind has been really helpful in developing some of these practices and the things that we help people with, because I feel like you're just trained to see the gray area in language and terminology and the way you're thinking about stuff. And that came up a lot when we were talking about the employee contractor thing in online business, yeah. because it, it really, I mean, even since we've met, I think they've changed the law in California. So it's like back and forth all the time. You have to be able to argue different things. And then the federal law, which is relevant for most of the people we work with, it's not even the same as in California, is a totally different interpretation. And so it's been cool to be able to bounce that back and forth with a legal mind in order to best prepare our clients and create the documentation they need to make decisions that are backing them up. Yeah. And this is why this is such a pain in the ass. Right. But like what? I, Because, you know, there's so many different laws and you have to figure out which ones apply. But I often will you know, tell people, hopefully, hopefully, like if you're in California, we can say, well, the California rules are more strict. 
So if you meet the California tests, then like you're probably fine for federal. And in other places, if you're in more lax laws, it's like, all right, well, let's just try to meet, meet the federal test. But sometimes there's like these kind of like weird carve outs where one may be stricter than the other one, but you're actually failing the more lax test because they just have like this one specific thing that you can't do or something. And that's where people often don't look. Um, Kira, I think it would be fabulous if we, if anyone is in California, if we sent them to my AB5 blog post, because it's like a mile long. And I put screenshots in there of my Twitter argument with uh, Assemblywoman Lorena Gonzalez, who, you know, quote unquote, wrote the law. Um, So that was fun. Well, because like the union probably wrote the law, but like she signed it, right? So we had a Twitter argument. I put in the screenshots and then it was pretty civil. She asked me to send her, her a letter of why I think the, the law didn't work in particular for the wedding industry because I work with a lot of wedding professionals as a lawyer. So I have a unique insight. And I'm not saying that I had anything to do with it, but when they wrote the amendment to AB5, a lot of my suggestions were... <laughs> A lot of my suggestions were in the exceptions, which they were like common things that were being brought up. So to give you an example, can I get, can I give an example? I don't want to take over your podcast. Yeah. Yeah. That's why you're So a big part of AB of AB five is it implements the ABC test, which Kira can talk about a lot too. A lot of States use this test. It says that someone can't be a contractor unless they meet like A, B, and C. And part B essentially says that you can't hire someone if they provide like the same service that your company provides. Like a photographer can't hire a photographer to be a contractor, you get the picture. But in California, they added an exception. It's called the single day event exception. So if you're hiring someone for a single day event, then they can, which would include a wedding. But then there are certain requirements for that. Like you have to have a contract for every event. The person you're hiring has to have their own business and business license, which means if you have like you and your best friend are both photographers and you're hiring to help each other out, like on the day of the event. Now it's like, okay, which was like a huge, was like a huge issue before. Now we still have the problem like with wedding planners a lot when they're hiring like their niece to come and like help them for the day. The niece doesn't have a business and that technically needs to be an employee, even if it's only a day. And a lot of people obviously are not abiding by that in the state of California. So I'm uh, trying to tell the people, but I don't know if they're listening. Yeah. Yeah. And in the next episode, we're going to talk about a lot of examples and things like that from the federal perspective. And we, I do mention that that different states have different regulations and laws, and they're also rapidly changing. So I think over the last year, we've seen kind of an energy shift in this weird thing that I didn't really understand about, like, if you need an employee, then why don't you hire one? Just because of my background and where I come from, I was like, well, if you need an employee, just hire an employee. Like, what's the big, like, drama about it? And then slowly we've been just oh uncovering God. there's so many mindset issues, fears, people don't worries, wanna, Yeah, people don't want to do it. Yeah, I just and I don't know why. I, I mean, I now I'm kind of understanding it because it can be a big pain in the butt to start to prepare for something like that. But in my experience, it's always been like, yeah, you prepare, you understand the rules, you get what your handbook has in it, you understand what you can put the push and pull, and you only have to do it one time. So why would you not just do it so then you can expand your business? But I never realized how much emotion goes into these decisions and how long people will hold their business back to not get the support that they need based on hiring poorly. Or, you know, we all get sold into sometimes, well, we're going to have all the help we need from this, you know, outsourced blah, blah agency. And then it comes down to it. And it's like, 
well, I'm still doing a lot of the work. Like, you know, now I need to hire somebody else in order to meet the requirements to get the most out of that agency. So it's really, it's really crappy kind of to have to fight against this fear-based idea that I don't know if it's just that we don't deserve to have constant, consistent and dedicated support or that we're not a real business and people don't think that people are shocked that I have a full-time salaried employee. I think they think I'm just screwing around on Instagram every day. So fighting against that every day, I can see like where that mindset would come from. But well, on the flip side, I think a lot of people think that you have to make like so, so much money to be able to afford an employee. Because a lot Mm -hmm. of people have a misconception that they just like cost a lot, lot more, Mm -hmm. um, which is not necessarily the case. And there are like a lot of other, a lot of other issues there too. I also think Kira, it'd be like, it'd be really cool if you have, maybe you already have this on your itinerary, but have an IP attorney come on to talk about like the pros and cons of employees versus contractors when it comes to them creating intellectual property for your company. Yeah, definitely. Well, I have a a DM out to my favorite one right now, but it is kind of fun to go back a little bit and talk about your journey with hiring a team, not the part where we worked with you and, you know, changed everything, but more so you had a really functional team of contractors and you have full awareness of these laws and were able to stay generally compliant with those things with your contractors, at least in this, you know, legally binding recorded conversation Uh that we're putting out there. Um, But eventually you did make the decision to move over to having an employee or two and to help you with the furthering of your business. But you, when did you hire your first contractor? Uh, Lily, I think I hired in 2019, like late 2019. I think I hired Lily to uh, like do very light, like podcast editing. She did like Facebook group approvals, a lot of that kind of stuff. 2020, I hired a couple, actually, I think I hired like four contractors. And when we started working together this year, at that point, I had six contractors who were like collectively working like 10 to 15 hours a week. Yeah. And when you decided that you wanted to move over and have employees on your team, what were some of the things that were going on where you were just kind of like, yeah, like basically F it, like it's time to figure this out on the front end. You know, I are some of those people arguably should have already been employees because of the tasks they were doing in the business, right? Um, and as I wanted to start having like, and you and I talked about this, like I wanted certain employees to start ca- tracking KPIs and you can have them like track KPIs, but as contractors, they like can't really be responsible for KPIs. They like kind of can be, but in the context of like, if I hire a Pinterest manager who has a Pinterest business, like she's going to be responsible for the KPIs in the sense that if I'm paying her a thousand dollar a month retainer, like she's fired. If we, if you, if you know, we're not hitting certain metrics. Right. Yeah. Well, uh, and then um, like you were probably just about to say and not to interrupt, but there is a element of like, well, now I have to go find another Pinterest manager. So I'm just going to keep this going. Cause at least right, then I don't have to right. go find someone else, you know, cause yeah. that's what, those are your choices when you have contractors. Yeah. But when you're hiring someone like that, who, or, or like another great example, since we're doing a podcast is if you're hiring someone to do podcast pitches for you and they, that they have a podcast pitching business, like you have KPIs in the sense of like, I'm paying you to pitch to podcasts. And if I'm not on getting on podcasts, I'm not paying you anymore. But that's different from like, I have someone who's an integral part of my team and they do a variety of tasks. And now I want to give them like responsibility over a certain thing. Well, now they're starting to look a lot more like an employee, right? So 
had a couple um a couple folks like that and then i knew uh i'm a real big believer have you read traction yeah okay so i love traction i implement it uh, i actually teach it like teach some of the concepts in my program i'm not like traction certified and all that bullshit but in the book uh the author gino wickman check it out on amazon or whatever talks about 10 year vision three year picture one year goal And I really, really like to think about the three-year picture. So it's always, what do I need to do this year to set myself up for the three-year? And so in my mind, I know kind of what I want my team to look like in three years. So even if we don't really, really need employees right now, it's like, well, getting established with a couple employees is really the stepping stone to what we want our three-year, like three-year to look like. Yeah. Yeah. And I think when we talk to business owners that are starting to get to this point. Usually they hear me on a podcast talking about this topic or something like that. Um, They are at a place where it's not just like, I don't want to have employees. So then I'm going to tweak my business in order to make sure that I can still function regardless of, you know, whatever's going on on my team. Or there's a bit of a, like, I am sort of stagnant and I don't really know how to get to the next level. And I know that I need people to help me, but like, how do I get them in the right role and get them doing the right things and make sure I'm also compliant and following laws and stuff like that. I remember one of the first things that you said to me was you're like, Oh, I get it. You do like compliance. And I was like, yeah, but like, it never <laughs> even occurred to me to like explain HR that way because people don't really think of that word, you know, they're just like normal everyday non-lawyer business owners aren't like, Oh, compliance, you know? (laughs) So Uh uh it's just like, you were just like, it was like a light bulb went off and you're like, Oh yeah, well then I can use you. And I was like, Oh, okay, great. (laughs) (laughs) Well, because to me, that comes back to the difference between like the litigation versus transactional stuff. Like compliance is a type of like, it's type of transactional type of thing. So I actually, in law school, my specialty was in health law and I was really interested in health compliance. So my kind of goal was to work in-house counsel at a hospital to make sure they were abiding by like HIPAA laws and all that kind of stuff. So it's like that versus being the person that's defending or suing the doctors for malpractice. So it's like, oh, compliance is what you need if you're a business trying to make sure that you're not getting sued, right? Mm -hmm. And those little things that come with that are not as complicated or as scary as you think. It's just that, that meme that's like knowing which wire to cut versus like Uh just cutting a random wire and seeing what happens can Uh save you so much time. Like just documenting, like, I know we had a situation recently with one of your team members and I was like, we need to document this. And you were like, how? And I was just like, send this email. Here it is. Like you told me what happened here, send it over. Let's save it in their file. It doesn't have to be anything more complicated than that. But those are the things that come up when I think about reading those depositions, (laughs) Uh Because I'm Uh like, read like, and this is how I train my managers too that work for me or our directors that work for me. Any email that you send, think about it as if some old dude that doesn't understand your sense of humor is going to read it. So I'll even have to warn my team members or employees like, hey, I'm going to send you an email and it's going to sound a little weird. It's going to sound very legal and official and it's not going to sound like me. So just know that like, this isn't just me like, reminding you about your time off policy. Like I need it to be, I need it to be documented. So that's why it's not going to sound like me because I have in the past made the mistake where I go to document something. And then people are like, I literally got called a dirty cop. 
Like they were like, what the hell? Like you're a dirty cop. I told you all my secrets about my like mental health stuff. And like, you just like turned it around on me and emailed me that weird thing. And it's like, Oh God. So it's like, I have all these lessons that I've learned along the way. It's just like little things like that. Like I could have just told that guy that was struggling so much. He was already so paranoid, as you can imagine with like all these things going on, informing me, his boss, who he thought he could trust. And then I turn around and send him an email summarizing all the stuff that he told me with him, not understanding that, like I needed to do that to protect him, protect his job, regardless of who his boss was in that company but he was right. like what the hell you're like using it against me well it's not like you cop. see that anyone <laughs> no no i always just copy them and well maybe a bcc here and there to keep people in the loop but that's besides yeah. the point yeah. but yeah anyway so i know we're coming up on time but i and we already did talk about like your shittiest boss and i wanted <laughs> to kind of just loop it back around and when you think back on the people that you want to be like when you're running your team and you're managing your team? Do you have any bosses or mentors or leaders or professors that you emulate when you are making these decisions with your team? And who who was one of those people for you? Kind of. Yeah. So I was actually thinking when we were talking earlier, I was thinking like back in my first my first jobs were really doing roofing with my dad, starting at like eight years old, which is terrible. And he's an awful boss. He cusses <laughs> out his employees like on the regular. We don't need to talk about him. But as soon as I got my driver's license, I got a job at Calvin Klein and I worked there all through high school. I was like 16 years old, like wearing all black, working at Calvin Klein. And the way it was worked is you get hired during peak season. And then like after Christmas, it's dead. And you would go like weeks with zero hours, right? And so I would get my one shift and there was one floor supervisor. So I would close the store with her. And she was so funny looking back because she was a college student. So it's like she was like probably 21 and I'm 16. And I told her, I was like, oh, I really want more hours. I don't know why I get more hours. And the manager would kind of like reward good work with good hours. So she told the manager who was actually her mother, like mother-in-law, interestingly, <laughs> um, like you should give Brandon more hours. He's a pretty good worker. And then I got more hours and I got like really knowledgeable about all things Calvin Klein products, became the denim captain. Thank you very much. I was responsible <laughs> for restocking all the denim and I was responsible for denim sales. Like as a 17 year old at this point, and then it got to the point where like as a high schooler, I was working 30 hours a week, like during school and like 40 hours a week during the summer. And I like paid for my own trip to Europe in that job. Um, and at one point I was making $9 an hour and we had a new manager. This doesn't sound like a lot, but we had a new manager come in and she was like, well, it's time for your raise to come up, but I actually can't give you any more money or you'll be making the same as the shift supervisors. And like as a manager, basically, she's like, and we can't do that. So I just kind of think back to Brooke, shout out Brooke, we're still friends on Instagram, who basically like listened to what my goals were in this like very first job that I had and was like, well, I think that you're really good at this, this so we're going to give you some more responsibility and like in this retail job. And that was big for me. I took like, uh, weirdly, I took like a lot of pride in that job as a high schooler because I was treated, I was treated, you know, like someone who is in their 20s and responsible enough to like manage things in the, in the company. Yeah, that's amazing. And also like shout out to Brooke. Like she was basically a Nepo baby in Calvin Klein world. And <laughs> oh, she's super cool. She was like doing her uh, bachelor's degree. She had like a young daughter and was like doing her bachelor's degree at the time and like criminology. And now she's like one of those people that works in like a CSI type lab. Yeah, we love Brooke. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, like we should get her on the pod. 
Um, yeah. <laughs> well, that is all the time we have. I'm sure that you'll be back. And I just want you to do the whole like desperation minute of like where people can find you and how they can work with you. <laughs> and I stole that term from another podcast I listened to, so I can't take credit, but I weirdly just realized that's probably not a thing that everyone says. So <laughs> I think it's funny. I think desperation funny. minute time. <laughs> yeah, I was on my podcast. I wrap it up with I have a Facebook group called Braden's Besties. Everyone should go join. Please tell my listeners how they can become one of your besties. And then, you know, they, they share. So everyone, you can be a Braden's Bestie if you're active on Facebook. Otherwise, um, follow me on Instagram. I'm pretty active there. Send a lot of voice memos. My name is Braden, B-R-A-D-E-N. Adam, like the biblical figure, and Drake, like the rapper. That's my full my full username on Instagram and my full human real life name. And then I have all kinds of shit on my podcast. You can tune in to the Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden podcast if you're a podcast listener, which obviously you are. Asterisk for the you when you search that for it to show up. Um, so yeah, Unfuck Your Biz with Brayden uh, and then Instagram. You're amazing. Thank you so much. I can't wait to talk to you immediately after this. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for having me. Okay, bye everybody. If you're listening to this, you've stuck with me for this entire episode. And for that, I say thank you. I hope you found as much value in this week's topic as I do. If so, be sure to follow, rate, and review on the Up and Up podcast. You'll be helping others find the fun in HR too. Follow us on social media and join us next Wednesday for your weekly dose of On the Up and Up.